Hey guys, uh, today I'm excited. I have uh, my friend Michael P here. He is the um, host of Third Eye Drops podcast, and um, he's into young and uh, symbols and stuff like that. So I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more. Yeah, it's good to be here, Kendall. Um, as you said, I am into young. <laughs> I am into symbols, but um. Really, I think the the way that I came to be into those things is through a comedy of errors and just tumbling my way down the sort of sense-making path until I hit some kind of ground that made some level of sense to me. And that's sort of like mythopoetic, Jungian, Joseph mm. Campbellian way of seeing is really something that I cannot, it, it feels like there's just this gravity to it. Like that's one of the only ways of really making sense, like meaning making in the world that consistently feels right to me, you know? So, so yeah. I remember um, back in college and undergrad reading The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And yeah. that was just so powerful to me. So it drew me in and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And uh, I think that was my first introduction into uh, the world that uh, you swim in regularly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great introduction. Yeah. I for sure um, gobbled up those power of myth talks to uh, that were on PBS back mm -hmm. in the day with Moyers. And it's just, it's really, and I love, I love seeing Campbell at that stage in his life because he's older. And, you know, he's like a retired professor at this point. He's written all these books. So you're just seeing somebody with such a command of the religions of the world, myth, classics, psychology. You know, he was hugely influenced by Jung. So he's just, you know, you're seeing this like fully formed as close to what I think is like a fully individuated being as we get to see in a lifetime. And it, he feels like a true elder at that point. You know? and, and, like, and there's no, there's no like weird. There's nothing he has to prove. There's no like dogma he's preaching. It's just it's a true like dialogos in the old Greek sense of trying to like make sense of reality and and interlocute with another human being who's trying to do the same thing. And it just felt so powerful and vibrant all throughout. And, and it's conversations like that, too, that eventually pulled me into podcasting. It's like, you know, you see what conversation can be, you know, where we're, we were shown these like absolutely flimsy, hollow, cartoonish, con short conversations on TV growing up on like the news or late night shows or whatever. And everybody knows there's more than that. You know, you have a deep mm -hmm. conversation with a friend and there's something like, truly soul stroking about about the, about those kinds of conversations and and i think that's the other kind of major gravity pull in my life is just like it, that way of exploring through dialogue mm. has just been as you know such a, a huge mainstay for me for so many years right um one thing that really um is uh drawing in about Campbell is that he's not dogmatic and you could even say <laughs> he's slightly annoying in that I'm like, so do you think that this, um, this religion or, or these symbols are, are true? Or are they not or whatever? He just like, 
I just get from them what is um what they symbolize and what that that means for people's lives and um you know it cuts across cultures and and religions and different stuff like that it's just a he's a connector and so it helps um you lower your guard and it's like we can all agree that these symbols have power and meaning and are helpful to our lives um and so it it takes us away from quibbling about you know what do we think the truth or what what's yeah. what's the right um group you know totally totally and and i think he would say that there is no right group and and i i was listening to a um a lecture from hillman yesterday and he's another one of these you know mm-hmm. mythopoetic sages who is um you know he's often called a jungian or a post jungian or whatever so he comes from this flavor of seeing but one of the things that that he directly did that i think all of them were doing but he really harped on this when people would try to ask him you know direct questions about mm-hmm. like which which interpretation of this myth is best or or whatever kind of like this question that you're asking mm-hmm. and what he seemed to lean on most is that it's not about finding the right way it's about changing your way of seeing mm. it's about changing your way of seeing as this way of trying to get literal answers and finalize your and concretize your thinking to opening yourself to this more soulful mythopoetic mysterious way of seeing and being overall um because we've lost that and i think that is more of the natural state of the human mind because we've always been storytellers Mm. we've always looked at the stars and wondered like what's going on up there you know whether we're just making stories about it or we we were seeing true archetypes in the stars like this is just something we've always done and modern the modern way of living has kind of robbed us of that birthright and it's sort of our job i think to retrieve that a little bit and um that's that's why i'm so drawn to these thinkers because because they're non-dogmatic in many ways Mm. where it's like everybody's dog everything's dogmatic whether it's spiritual philosophical or just scientific like everyone is trying to convince you of something or sell you on something and it's like you know there there's something in my psyche in my soul that yeah i want to be convinced i want to be comforted i guess at the end of the day when it, when it comes to spirituality and philosophy but th- but really there's something more there's like something open ended and mysterious that i need and the existence of something open ended and mysterious is comforting in and of itself in a strange way you know yeah yeah totally i i mean i love mystery i just think about like reading and and i love reading growing up and one of the the biggest draws about reading is is the mystery is figuring out what's going to happen and you know how is the hero going to um solve the solve the you know the problems the conflict and and also then then how do i do that in my own life you know um and then also the mystery allows us to be open to what life holds for us instead of having an expectation that um you know could be could be let down or whatever and then that would um just not be uh flexible for what life has and also um it it helps us grow when we can embrace the mystery and um be open to 
our understanding being shattered because obviously um you know our understanding is always incomplete it's always um it's is corrupt in some ways to some degree you know we don't have the full, full picture so we need to have an openness and um embrace of the mystery in order to to move a hundred percent i mean especially when it comes to these like spiritual and mythological matters it's like the idea that we can somehow pin the tail on the donkey or like hit the bullseye or something is inherently ridiculous it's like you're talking about non-physical things you're Mm -hmm. talking about metaphysical not just ideas but like concepts that are beyond empirical measurement so it's like like we should assume we don't know. We should assume we're not going to be able to like fully figure it out. But it within that like sort of inherently open-ended way of looking at those things, there's still like w- one of the things that I really, really love. And I got this from uh, John Vervacki who did like mm. um, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. And mm-hmm. he's a professor. I've heard at of him. Univers- yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. But it's this Greek idea called anagage. And anagage, um, I'm hoping I'm using the right word because there's like all these Greek words <laughs> sort of like rattling around in my head that I might be confusing. But um, it, it sort of encompasses this idea because it's the notion that you can continuously climb the ladder of truth, but never arrive. Mm. It's like you're always ascending and getting closer but because these are transcendent ideas, because we are dealing with things beyond the realm of the human intellect, we never get there. But mm-hmm. like you can you can get closer and you can continuously get closer and continuously get closer. So I, I really I really like that way, that way of looking at it. Right. And, um, you know, me coming back from a Christian background, um, you know, God is the ultimate thing. And so um, if we think of God as something that we can totally understand then he's not God anymore because he's he's on our level and right um you know so that that doesn't make sense so it's just another way of understanding that I'm with you um so I want to get to um how you got to where you are now kind of your upbringing and your um belief uh meanderings yeah so I grew up mostly with a dad um, my parents split up when I was young and my dad is a, just an awesome, really open-minded, really open-hearted guy. But coming along with that was a lack of, you know, kind of, we didn't have like a, a tradition or a, like a church we went to every mm-hmm. week. It, it was just a lot more relaxed, I guess. You know, he worked a lot of hours and our off time was just pretty chill. So he didn't steer me in any particular direction. And I did maintain a relationship with my mom. I'm totally cool with my mom as well. And it was the same on her side. It was, you know, there was nothing like if we went to church, it was like on holidays or rarely. So, but with that, I always had a spiritual curiosity and I was always had a, just a lens of wonder toward the world Hmm. in the respect of in, in all respects of the word, really like 
being in awe of the world, but also questioning, like, why do people believe this? Why do people mm -hmm. do this? Why do people like this? Why do people go to this kind of a church? Why do people go to this kind of a job? Why do they want to do these kinds of things? Because honestly, from my perspective, I was, I, I do feel like I always had this innate sense of like, I don't want to do that. I don't <laughs> want to do that shit. Like, I don't like, I don't want to do that kind of a job. I don't want to mm -hmm. like, this idea of, of what's important to people just doesn't really appeal to me or move mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that was the sort of genesis point of the questioning of the exploring for looking for the things that would do that, that would scratch that itch. So I feel like I was a kid who asked a lot of questions, but I was not a great student. Like I just wasn't that engaged with school. Occasionally things would come up that would interest me and then I would take mm -hmm. them very seriously mm -hmm. or like decide I wanted to try hard. But, you know, there were a lot of elements that I just couldn't, I just could not get into. Um, and then as I got older, you know, I started to get different interests. I knew I wanted to move out of the town I grew up in. I grew up in like the Fox Cities area of Wisconsin. So it was like small-ish, mm -hmm. not like super small town, but like 70,000, 60,000 person type city. And there was just nothing going on there that really intrigued me. Like I started getting into music and like um, wanting to play in bands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um Though I wasn't a great student, I did go to college. I did uh, go to like a state school. And uh, so th that's the point that I moved out of there and started really exploring more of these interests uh, directly. And one of the first major ways I did that was taking like religious philosophy courses in school and taking regular philosophy courses and Buddhism courses and stuff like that. And then that really started equipping me to use different concepts and language and archetypes to help try to understand these things and ma just mature my understanding of those things in general. Um, and then this is the point too, I get exposed to like thinkers like Ram Dass and Robert Anton Wilson and uh, Timothy Leary and like people who came from other vantage points of a lot of these big questions and um, the guy who taught my religious philosophy class was just so cool. Like he had, he had a very kind of like psychedelic disposition, uh, went through various deep spiritual stages in his life. Like he, he became a yogi. He became a Sikh for a little while. Like he told us a story about how doing LSD changed his life on the first day <laughs> of class, which this was pretty taboo back then. Like wow. I was pretty shocked to hear, <laughs> to hear this story. And like, you know, that, that like really made me understand like what kind of a level this guy was on. And in, in terms of like, I've been there, done that truly like guard down explorer of the mystery of being alive. And that started to influence me. And then, of course, podcasts come along and you start hearing these like long rambling philosophical conversations and you're like, holy shit, I could do that. I could just start doing that. Um, so that's a very abbreviated version, but um, those are a lot of the the major, mm. major bullet points, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. So it sounds, um, thinking back to my own upbringing, um, to me, I, I often felt kind of like the outcasts never within the group and it's kind of you know you go back to the nature versus nurture thing so it's kind of hard to tell sometimes um, oh yeah 
you know, might be part of my personality, might be um, just the way things shook out when I was younger, a little bit of both. But I think that I had an aversion to fitting in the group too much. And, and I always kind of enjoyed, although it was also lonely and hard, but being on the outside and kind of looking in and being like, do I actually want to mold myself to fit in this group to do these things? Yeah. And to to think critically about um, these groups and these ideas and and the way the psychology of it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. is that what do I think about that? And I think that that gave me an advantage to continue to do that. And I guess you, you not get sucked into things. And so um, hopefully not, not be so dogmatic. Would, would you say that that, that was kind of similar to you? Yeah, I think there's part, like I'm a really social person and I love being around like-minded mm-hmm. people for sure. And I love you know, I played sports growing up and stuff too. I one of the things I really skipped over is I I was a like deep into martial arts growing up. Like mm. that was a huge part of my uh, my upbringing too. But but yeah, there's there there's always been a I think rebellious questioning aspect to my personality that I could not relinquish to fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there though I think in my heart of hearts, maybe I want to fit in. Mm-hmm. There's things I, I I can't let go. Like it's, yeah. you know, if, there, if there's, if there's ways people are talking or ideas that people are espousing that just don't sit right with me, I can't shut up about it. I can't right. be the person who's just like, yeah, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to just let you say that even though I deeply <laughs> disagree. And that's mm-hmm. been, and I've been, and I've learned when mm-hmm. to actually, let that knee-jerk reaction go over the years of course Mm -hmm. but along the way i you know i was way more like wow you were you were aggressive and in confrontation i I never would have uh assumed that about you (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i was like confrontational but Mm -hmm. i just if i truly felt like something was wrong and i still feel Mm -hmm. this way to extent to an extent like if i feel like something's oversimplified if i don't feel like someone's thinking critically if i think someone's ideas are problematic it's hard not to clap back and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily out of a I want to correct you sentiment. It's like I, I sincerely I hope you understand that what you're saying is short-sighted, you know, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of short-sighted <laughs> to be kind things that people say and just repeat. And it's almost like you know they don't like you know, it's really easy to use like political mm-hmm. examples here. But things that you see people say and it's just like that's not even your idea like the only reason you're saying that is because it aligns you with a certain social group and a certain thing you want to be Mm -hmm. affiliated with and it's like it it bothers me to it's like insulting to my (laughs) intellect and to everyone else's intellect to hear you say these things and yeah so i've always been that kind of yeah (laughs) i totally get that i feel the same way and and it's more like let's think and feel things out critically so that we can have the benefit for all, not just like, Hey, I need to correct you. Cause I need, it's not about being right. It's about yeah. being, um, being honest and being, um, yeah, thorough, thorough in your, in your thinking and, and how you feel. And, um, you know, I, I hope that if I say things that people will be like, Hey, um, you know, maybe that's not right or let's, let's think this out 
think this yeah. out more fully or more nuanced. And so it's like, hey, we, we sharpen each other. Yeah, and or at least be honest, because I don't think a lot of people when they're on social media or, or they're they're saying something that sounds like it's merely a signal to fit into some group. Like, I don't care what end of the spectrum you're on. Like, if you if you if you see a post or you see somebody like pandering to some group, it's like. That's not even really the way you feel. It's a, mm-hmm. it's like it's like a social signal. It's a mm-hmm. it's like some kind of way to comfort some element of your own mind and let other people know where you stand and where you belong. And that to me is like that that's like a pair of glasses somebody doesn't understand they're wearing. You know, and mm-hmm. that's like and this is where people like Robert Anton Wilson are just indispensably awesome because they give you words like reality tunnel to describe that kind of behavior. You know, it's like mm. people are stuck in their own reality tunnels and mm-hmm. oftentimes are not remotely aware of the fact that that little tiny pinprick of light that you're seeing the world to is just that. It's a tiny, tiny little t- perspective that's completely dependent on your upbringing and all the things you were indoctrinated with and nature and nurture, as you just pointed out, mm-hmm. and just weird biases you don't care to investigate and that to me is just disappointing you know right yeah but at the same time i I get the sentiment i get the feeling i i I still you know my psyche wants to do that all the time Mm -hmm. um and you know I, i can be like hey i'm not where i was when i was younger i've thought about this and i've changed so now now i'm open now i'm unbiased now i'm this but it you know, sometimes that can be that can be a trap because it's like I'm not dogmatic the way I used to be, but now I'm dogmatic about these other ideas and beliefs I have now. Yeah. And so you can fall in the same kind of hole. And I mean, I see that in myself and other people as well. And so I think the then the, there's a the there I think it's all about like comparison. And so it's like if I can get past where I was and then where I think I am now and get um, just not see myself as for or against, but just Mm -hmm. kind of in my own place and not comparing myself to others. And also, you know, allowing them to be where they are because I was once there. But, you know, obviously if there's a way that I can speak into their life that's helpful, um, I want want to take that opportunity. But um, just allowing ourselves to be, where we're at and also know that uh, I'm still not there. Just like we were talking earlier about the the great mystery. Yeah. What does it even mean to be there? (laughs) I I don't ever know where I am. I'm just kind (laughs) of like reacting in the moment, balancing in the moment, dealing with whatever's in front of me at the moment, thinking about whatever I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's never, I, I never feel like I'm, I'm anywhere, you know, like the only way that I can tell you where I am is in reference to other people or in reference to other ideas, Mm. or this is something that Hillman, I've heard him talk about, um, the concept of figuring out what tree you're on. You know, it's like if you, you, you look around and you're like, aha, there's, there's Plato, there's Jung, there's, you know, some of these other Mm -hmm. thinkers that I've mentioned, I guess this is the tree that I'm on. (laughs) This is the tree that I feel at home in. And I, you know, and here's my branch shooting Mm -hmm. off of that, Mm -hmm. um, which is unique. And, and I like that. I really like that that uh, analogy. Mm-hmm. Right. One uh, one thing that I found 
helpful, although, you know, it is straining, you could say, is that um, I find myself kind of in four boxes. Uh, I grew up, you know, pretty uh, conservative Christian. Um, and then I kind of found myself um, rethinking Christianity. And so there's a lot of Christians now that are mm-hmm. deconstructing and then reconstructing. And then there's um, the people like yourself, uh, Young, Campbell, Archetypes, that type of thing. And then there's the full-on woo-woo. So I find myself kind of, I guess, you know, I, I, I'm i in the world of conservative Christianity. I wouldn't really put myself in, in that place anymore. Um, but the the last three, I definitely um, have sentiments and, and, and um, ideas of, of, of all those three. And so... Uh, it's nice to have people know people in all four boxes to mm-hmm. help remind myself of 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 what those are and and the pros and cons and the what they see and what their blind spot is because I if I I find myself or any other person people that um, kind of start secluding themselves in just their one group that they you know agree with then that starts to they start to get more blind and um, oh, yeah not see the other 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 people and other groups and uh, mischaracterize them or simplify uh, their beliefs. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And, and I think too, that's, I get why people do that because it's like a protection mechanism. It's a way to straw man things that you don't want to be associated with or things that scare you or ways of thinking that run counter to yours. But it's not really... Like it, it is uncomfortable. I get it to be confronted with ideas that don't mesh with your way of thinking, with your way of looking at the world. But it's not ever as bad as you imagine it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, do I enjoy listening to really empirical, reductive, physicalist ways mm-hmm. of describing the universe? Like, to an extent I do, but I always want there to be a deeper punchline. Mm-hmm. I always want there to be a deeper mystery that they admit that they don't know. But it's right. but I don't but I I can still enjoy, you know, a talk by somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson. But it, I, I think I think actually to your point, it's when they show their blind spots mm. that I start to get I start to wriggle. Right. Because when because as soon as you start to act like you know, and and I mean that with a period, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, right. It's like, no, you don't. No, you <laughs> right. That, that humility is so enticing. It's, it's like, oh man, they admit that they're human, that they have um, shortcomings or, or they don't know everything. And so that, that draws you in. And so, you know, that's also a challenge. It's like, oh man, um, I should do the same thing. <laughs> A real quick specific example, like I remember Stephen Hawking one time said something to the extent of like, we know enough about the universe now to know that it doesn't need God to exist or something, something along those lines. And it's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Like, you have no, like, theoretical physics. I don't even know a lot about theoretical Mm -hmm. physics in terms of the actual technicals but i know enough to know it's a mess and it's Mm -hmm. unfinished and it's incomplete and there are things that don't work together that have been independently proven in numerous experiments that are even nobel prize winning at this point so to pretend like we understand the functioning of the universe down to like some granular 
exact level is just insane to me. But anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went to like an apologetics camp and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I, I don't like about it now, but, um, apologetics or, camp. Oh yeah. So that's just uh, like Christian apologetics, just like why we believe what we believe in and the truth behind it basically. Okay. Um, it was a step in my journey. It, it was good. But, um, you know, one thing they say is basically that you know, it takes more faith to believe that, you know, the big bang was just created by chance than by, by something, um and i still find that to be to me that makes that still makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah have you ever heard um or or like walked through what's often called aristotle's proof of god even though it's not really god in like the Mm -hmm. judeo-christian sense honestly but i don't know if i can accurately go through the gist of it now in a way that I would feel good about. Mm-hmm. But I revisited it recently and I was like, you know what? I, I don't know what modern philosophers think about this, but I actually like it. Like I I think he's his his logic holds up to me. And all all of the points, like some of them are a little bit difficult. Like I can see like essentially ideas like universals and archetypes mm-hmm. and um uh platonic ideals come into it and at a certain point you you have to like be able to wrap your mind around certain concepts like that and i can total and that's like the sticking point a lot of Mm -hmm. people who are skeptical um wouldn't be able to get past that but like the moment you get past that it implies the rest of his argument in like a bulletproof way i think Mm -hmm. um but anyway yeah i'll have to check into that yeah, I'll, I'll share a link with you. I think there's a, a pretty decent video that I stumbled across on YouTube with like not a lot of views at all, but it was like really well explained. Oh, great, great. Uh, I wanted to go, go back to um, you're talking about school and um, how you weren't a great student, but what you were interested in, you were really interested. I, I felt the same way. Yeah. Um, and kind of talking about being dogmatic, um, I feel like school and even up to college often uh, teaches you to be to be dogmatic because school is about teaching you um, what what to know rather than how to think. And that's yeah. why I love English so much and as an English major in undergrad is because it's more about how to think rather than this is what we know and, and this is a you know, black and white truth um, that, that is for sure thing, which yeah. is often not the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. And Hillman said something really similar to that in that same uh, lecture I was watching yesterday, that we like education is more of like an indoctrination mm. process. And it's funny because now there's this whole like conversation about, you know, progressive Marxist indoctrination in college. That's like really popular among Mm -hmm. certain groups, but even I'm not going there at all. That's not Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. I I think that it's an indoctrination of a certain style of thinking. It's an indoctrinate indoctrination of a certain way where you're interrogating reality for an absolute answer. Mm -hmm. And I think in some cases, like this is a type of thinking you need in your disposal and, everyone should have right but there's like clear biases and clear kinds of intelligences that are being ignored when you're exclusively thinking that way and there's a lot of like 
you know, there are people who are like pedagogical experts who recognize this and they're trying to sort of offer alternatives, but it seems like we're a long way from that. And it seems like, unfortunately, the conversation about education is being completely hijacked by cartoon philosophy, like banning books and, Mm -hmm. you know, Marxism and shit like that. And it's like, it's, it's hard to, hard to see that going anywhere positive in the United States in the short term. Right. And you bring up a good point. Uh, I want to make sure it gets across it because we need both. I would say you could say, you know, you need the the right and left brain, the masculine and the feminine. You need a black and white and you need the gray, um, mm-hmm. the mystery and um, the, the for sure things. But it's just our emphasis um, is on the feminine because uh, the Western world for so long has been so imbalanced towards yeah. the masculine towards the, the black and white and and the physical and, and what we you know think we can know for sure so um it's just it's time for for balancing and i think that we're you know many people are starting to realize this and um i'm all about how can we how can we balance more where can we go from here in the future mm-hmm. no totally totally and that's you know that even cuts right to the core of what people like Jung thought the point of life is, is to balance all, accept and balance all aspects of the psyche. Like I said this recently in a, in a video that I put out like that for him, it was about, um, it was about, um, wait, what was the exact phrase? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly this, but it was like, it's not about purification. It's about inclusion. Hmm. So, it's not about expelling the dark parts of yourself or the parts of yourself you don't like. It's about directly understanding that I personally have the capacity for all of the things that I hate and all the things that turn me off. And the more I'm actually to, to even place more emphasis on that, the more aware I am that a certain type of thing really puts me off, the more I need to investigate where that's coming from in myself and how I can integrate that into my own understanding of my own mind and my own psyche. And that's, man, when you see some of the just super aggressive political posturing that's going on all over the country right now, God, it's just, it's just screaming shadow projection, isn't it? It's just screaming like, what are you so afraid of? Like, what, why are you so afraid of like, a kid reading about this other way of being or, or even understanding that that way of being exists. You know, it's like, we're, it's like, we're trying to draw ideological boundaries around States as if that's going to do something like, is it really going to, you know, like some of the legislation in Florida and all of the book banning stuff that's going on. It's like, do you really think like the internet exists, like the (laughs) fucking internet exists and you're Uh worried about books in a library? Like what? You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's just crazy. It's it's so short sighted and and silly and yeah, yeah. You bring up a good point about um, dogmatic. When you're dogmatic, you also um, it hurts yourself, your inside, and, and realizing that you're full of contradiction. You're full of yeah um, these things, and that so you'll just um, push those to the side. You'll you'll make them unconscious, and so you won't be aware of them, and then. 
they'll come out in negative ways, which other people can see. And then they'll see that you're not authentic and you're not um, being honest about yourself. And of course, that creates lots of conflict. And I really like what you said, you know, about that, you know, what triggers us is a signal to what we haven't healed, what we haven't looked at inside ourselves. And so if we can really um, learn to grow in and, and gain a better perspective and even say, hey, thank you for triggering me. <laughs> thank you for revealing inside of me what has been unconscious that I didn't realize that I need to work on. And that can even become exciting in a way. It's like, oh, man, I found something and, and now I can, can work on it and work past it. Yeah, ideally. And and I think a lot of times it's, I'm certainly not a big enough person a lot of the time to be like, thank you for triggering me. <laughs> right. And In I do moment. want to give the caveat that like, uh, man, I do think that there's some times where people are just wrong and they, and, and mm-hmm. like, I remember like, so right on up to like, I've been in a few situations where I had to like fight someone in my life or it was going to be way worse of mm-hmm. a situation. And like that doesn't happen often, but it has happened. And the idea that we can just bypass things by by bringing them inside and mm. like into like just somehow just like processing it and like <laughs> being like, oh, thank you very much. Like I, I don't, I don't, I I have no illusions. I understand that that's not possible one hundred percent of the time, and there's a situation where you got to punch a son of a bitch right in the fucking <laughs> face. Like it's just, it's just true. But more often than not, man, you're a hundred percent right. And I remember hearing a story one time about, oh man, I wish I could remember what it was specifically, but Young said something to a patient that came to him and it like really triggered her and like really pissed her off. And mm-hmm. she just got up and like cursed him out and like left the office. Mm-hmm. And, um, it took her like multiple years, but eventually she went back and eventually she was just like, yeah, he was right. Like, he, <laughs> he was, he was way too curt and he was way too stern, but he was at a point in his life where he didn't care. Like he was mm-hmm. at a point in his life where it's like, if you're not ready to hear this, go away. I don't care. <laughs> but, um, but when she called and this, she's on camera talking about this, mm-hmm. this, this woman who was the patient. Um, but when she called young secretary was like, oh, we knew you'd be calling back eventually. Like some of that to that extent, you know. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) So sometimes it's you know it's like yeah, sometimes you you can process it and integrate it, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it'll take you five years, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just the way it is. Right. Uh, Going along with your point, uh, I follow you know like psychologist Twitter, and uh, I see that uh, sometimes the flack that psychology gets is focusing so much on the individual and the internal, and hey, you know, learning to deal with this, but it's like. Hey, maybe these people have problems because the world is screwed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so of course, you know, there's only so much we can do um externally and um you know, the the main thing we have to deal with is ourselves and deal with yeah. situations that are not so great. But but you're right, and it's a good point that sometimes you need to you need to have those boundaries. You need to step up. You need to confront people and be like, "Hey, this isn't right." Um, and, and so it's just, I guess, finding, finding that balance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and there's so many things wrong with self-help and popular psychology. And I think usually what it comes down, well, there's a few things it comes down to, but 
one is oversimplifications, right? Mm-hmm. And what we're what we were talking about before, like there, like there is some final answer. There is some thing that's gonna fix you. When really, I think like going back to what we were talking about before with like the lack of an answer, like what Hillman and Young were trying to do is like to to get you to actually change your way of seeing yourself and the world. Like I think that's actually more healing than mm. in the in the long run. That's probably more healing. And I'm generalizing again. Like mm-hmm. some people need medication. Some people right. need everything under the sun, right? Mm-hmm. But in the long term, isn't what you like what would appear to be more like a finish line? Wouldn't it be feeling more individuated in your own skin wouldn't it be seeing the world in a more mysterious divine way and not just saying you do but feeling it like Mm -hmm. like and that requires like a transmutation of consciousness like that requires a transmutation of the ego from this selfish you know thing that sucks in resources and to keep protects itself to shining out like the rays of the sun and being and and feeling true love and feeling true altruism toward the world you know (laughs) and like that that's what i think we really need to be after and a medication is not going to do it a therapeutic technique on its own is not going to do it it's like an overall desire on on the part of both the practitioner and the person helping guide the practitioner to get them there, you know, over years. And Mm. that does not jive with a good product. It doesn't jive with like a good social media post a lot of the time. (laughs) It's like- We want the quick fixes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Going back to the first part, what you're saying, and going back to my tradition, um, Jesus actually, he asked a lot more questions than he answered. And- He often spoke in parables, and and so it wasn't super straightforward. And he kind of left it um, up for people to. It's like if they're if they're open, um, if they're interested, and in, they can think about his parables and um, really think about what they mean. And if they're not, they can they can go their own way. But yeah, just the asking more questions, asking probing questions rather than be like. Hey, this is this is black and white, or this is this is what you do in this situation. He um, spoke more in kind of like a Campbell Campbellian way yeah. of these are the symbols, the truths that you can apply in your life in your own situation. Because depending on the situation, it's going to be different, and that's what we have such a hard time with. Is that we think, hey, in all situations, it's this way. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it really just, there's so much more nuance to it. And kind of going back to the end about, hey, we want quick fix, fixes. We want easy black and white answers. Um, but life is a lot more complex than that. Yeah, it, it for sure is. So I, I know you've you've kind of alluded to the fact that you had like a strict Christian upbringing. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but that your way of seeing has kind of changed. How would you describe that? way of seeing now and what is your relationship like with not just that way of that you grew up but like how i guess how is your understanding of of jesus of christianity 
how has that changed over time, if at all, if you mm -hmm. still associate with it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, for there's there's the Catholics and the Protestants, right? Right. And um, so uh, Richard Ward kind of goes into this and he says yeah, that after. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. You know about him. Uh, he said after the Enlightenment, um, people were like, hey, we have logic, we have science, we don't need religion anymore. And then Christianity kind of freaked out. We're like, oh, no, we need we need things that are very solid that we can hold on to that we can be like, hey, this is this is from God and, you know, it can compete with your science. And so the Catholics, they said, we have authority. We have the Pope. We, they, he was appointed by God. You know, they tell us what, what God said and what, what's true. And then Protestants, like we have the Bible. This is, um, this is basically God's word. Everything in it is like correct and, um, gives us the answers. And so, um, Basically, we became too too black and white and too um, inflexible. And so, um, for me, uh, it was just realizing. Um, and I would say that I'm probably on the more liberal, extreme side in uh, seeing the Bible, and that I think it was just written by men to understand God the best they could. And I think they improved over time within the books of the Bible. But um, you know. I think that even the New Testament, and eh, um, there may be some errors or some ideas that weren't correct. And so, once I kind of came to that belief, and and it's not just even you can come to an intellectual belief, but your emotions and your body has to catch up to that. And once I became yeah. comfortable with that in myself and um, cut those trauma bonds with it, you could say. Um, yeah. it just became so much more freeing. And I think, um, universalism was another thing and just believing that, you know, in whatever way, whatever sense, I think that everybody, um, will eventually be reconciled with God, um, in oneness with God in, in heaven or whatever, whatever, however you want to think about that. Yeah. Um, that, that just gave me so much more freedom and, and, and kind of, um, you know, exploring, um, different different religion different traditions different people and seeing that hey everybody bears the image of god and everybody uh or not people can find truth and in, in meaning um and live great lives whether they're christian or not and that the world isn't um separate from secular and sacred it, it's everything everything is sacred god god is within all things hmm. yeah i like that interpretation for sure and I'm definitely more on that like perennial philosophy right. side of things. And I just want to say that um, I think my my tradition and, and a lot of people I grew up with are not so dogmatic or have all these the, these beliefs that that are traditionally associated with conservative Christianity. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think sometimes you know certain things growing up um, in your life can. Uh, it kind of skewed uh, maybe like how I gravitated towards certain things or, or just being aware of um, the culture of conservative Christianity overall more than maybe yeah. some other people in my tradition even or if, within my church. And so um, I had to, it was, it was like there's our, our church bubble and then there's a conservative bubble and then there's the greater Christian bubble. And then 
everything else. And so I had to go through all these, these bubbles to, to get a bigger perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think you said the key word, which is culture. And I think that's key because culture ends up hijacking and repurposing things for Mm. its own ends. Right. And then you begin to have something that goes by a name, but if you compare it to earlier iterations of that thing, it's not really recognizable other than we're using the same words like Jesus. We're reading the same books, kind of, because you have to like get through the barrier of like translations Mm. and mistranslations and like to a point where the whole thing is so obfuscated that you you wonder if you're missing something core Mm. about the book and that doesn't even like bring into the the conversation all of the like apocryphal texts that were like taken out of quote unquote the bible or Mm. put in or not put in and when you don't see these things growing up, like you're you're blinded in ways that you don't even understand. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you either have to willingly choose to stay blind to those things or you have to be like, hey, I'm on this anagogic path we talked about before where I'm trying to honestly get closer to truth. And I think some of these ideas are keeping me more trapped in Plato's cave than they are getting me closer <laughs> to that transcendent light source. And that's something that everyone has to be super honest with themselves about. You know, like if if your cultural heritage is preventing you, stunting your own intellectual and spiritual growth, like you're the only person that can break yourself out of that, you know? And it doesn't mean you have to like completely disassociate with it or completely leave it behind. In some cases, it probably does, but it means that you need to do something more and you need to ask questions. And sometimes there might be questions that people in your group don't want you to be asking. And if, if that's the case, you probably should ask them harder, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because look, look at Jesus himself. Like Jesus was definitely rebellious. He was definitely an outcast. Mm-hmm. He was definitely going against the grain of society to the point that they killed him for it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like every major truth seeker was that we remember today was like pushing that same button. Like (laughs) the same thing happened to Socrates. Like, you know, it's that's really getting to the truth is going to piss people off. It doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter like what affiliation they have. Like there's a level of truth. No one wants to go to. Like Mm -hmm. there's a level of, if you dig hard enough into corruption, you know, it's going to, and you go to Washington DC, you know, it's going to, come out in the sludge a giant mixture of democrats and republicans you know it's not Mm going to be one or the other um they're all at the end of the day worshiping the same master the same the same dollar and i think this is true regardless of what cultural tradition you're looking at whatever hierarchical structure you're looking at like the truth transcends the structure it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. the structure is inherently bad it doesn't mean there shouldn't be structure but the truth always transcends the structure and you have to look at the limitations of the structure. And it's clear to me that American conservative evangelical Christianity is nothing resembling the original 
structure or the whole mm. of the truth. Right. And when you try to get closer to the whole of the truth, I think it gets a lot more interesting. And I'm way more interested in yeah. that interpretation of Christianity, right. where you start really getting to the core archetypes that it's playing with. Like it's really, it's really like an alchemical allegory of how you get a base metal or or a regular human consciousness and somehow it transcends it, it sorry it transmutes into something transcendent and it becomes mm. god now and it's no longer the thing that it started as it's fundamentally of a different nature and when you start thinking about it more in that way it becomes at least to me a lot more compelling yeah yeah totally um i'm really into the the mystics um and i think that they were the closest um to, to the right path, you know, and them realizing that it's not about um, the mind and the theologies we form. Um, it's about that relationship with the transcendent with God um, and that feeling and, and them having, um, you know, doing that meditation and doing these spiritual practices and having this experience with God uh, that helped them realize that, this is something indescribable. It's something transcendent. It's beyond words and um, concepts. And so anything anything we say is going to be uh, incomplete of that. And so they can hold, um, you know, theology and all these things loosely, knowing that it's not going to be complete. And um, for myself, my own journey, um, uh, it took um, an awakening, uh, an experience of oneness with God myself to get past... Um, thinking more dogmatically and trying to fit everything within the traditions and, and boxes that I had grown up with. And I'm, you know, I do have compassion for people because it's like, uh, you, your boxes are your rock of, of, of your foundation of your beliefs. And so once that is gone, then you're like, well, what, what am I holding on to? And you, it just feels so like you're free falling, you know, it mm -hmm. feels so, um, scary and and dark and that's why people have the dark night of the soul which which i did have for like six years um and so um it kind of took me um reading some other things and seeing connections to my own experience to be like hey i can trust uh, my experience i can trust that it was a real experience that 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 was a more foundational level of truth than than what I had previously known. And so not that all my interpretations might be hundred percent correct about that experience, but that experience itself was uh, truly transcendent. And so I can rest on that and, and that feeling of, of love and oneness with God as foundational for myself. Mm -hmm. How did, how did that happen? Um, I mean, I was, I was in grad school. I wasn't doing very well uh, mentally um, emotionally. And I was really just trying to improve my mental and emotional, uh, self and, and relationship with God. Um, but I felt like I was kind of failing, kind of feel like I was at the end of my rope, uh, feeling like being 24 and in grad school and, and just, I'm a failure and that I'm not, I don't know. I don't see a way forward. It's just kind of black. Um, and, um, and then I, I was, I kind of talked about this in my, my first episode about my faith journey, but, um, I, I, I read, um, do you know, um, brain pickings, that website, have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I was reading an article on that on that website about trauma, and it just really struck me as true. And I kept reading articles, and I read it from eight in the morning till four thirty at night. <laughs> and I would say that it was kind of uh, it was cathartic. It was realizing that I'm not alone, and that other people are going through the same things I am or have. And these great writers, these great philosophers, and that, like you said, they're finding a way to transmute alchemize their their pain and their struggles and find meaning and find purpose and 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 find love and there's connection between these different things there's a oneness within it all and so all of that was just really resonating with me and i kind of felt it building up in my body and just like this buzz and you say this compassion and love um for myself and and like why am i being so hard on myself why yeah i you know it's all this you know, growing up all this trauma, this expectations I had within myself, whether or not that was actually true that um, people had these expectations, I felt it within myself. And so kind of letting all that go. And so I finally realized it was really late. So I, I, I went up to my, my room and was doing this body meditation and that I just started shaking uncontrollably. And I just felt like I connected my brain with my body. And um, it was just the, the biggest feeling of joy, love, ecstasy, whatever, and oneness with God. And um, yeah, that's kind of a transformational point in my life. Cool, man. Yeah, that that really, that's a cool, I, I've never heard of a story quite like that where where you're sort of sucked in to the gestalt of everybody's existential mm. <laughs> suffering and right. realizing that that's like a, rite of passage and that mm -hmm. in and of itself is like a sacred thing that every thinking person eventually deals with and then you feel like you're a part of this like ocean mm -hmm. of that longing and mm -hmm. then being connected to so many other people in that longing is, is a very sacred thing in and of itself and yeah it's crazy how like certain things just like you can, we can intellectually like talk about these things, but then they just somehow hit you in a very personal, mm. very profound way. And yeah, I've had experiences like that too, man, where it's like the, you know, a, a cliche that we've all been aware of for years and years, like comes home to roost in your own heart or something. And it's like, oh fuck, this is that's a cliche. Because <laughs> right, it's like, like I, 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 like Richard Ward, for example, he came on my radar when I was an undergrad. And I would read his stuff on Facebook and I'd be like, this guy is interesting. I'm not sure what I yeah. think about him. He He's dangerous. Like he's mm. saying some stuff. I don't know about this guy. <laughs> and then uh, now I'm like, oh man, Richard Roy is great. I, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah. He, he, I don't know a ton about him, but I've heard some podcasts with him and just seen some stuff with him over the years. And he always just seems like a very loving, very open hearted person. Mm -hmm. And I know he's more of like a, of a more like mystical yes. persuasion for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I just, I guess going from here, um, I feel like my, my podcast is trying to help people, um, you know, get from point A from to point B to become more open, all these things we're talking about to be less dogmatic, to, to find the nuance and to, um, to have these conversations with people in these different areas and these different, um, you know, this more open mystical, um, space and, um, I guess dissolve the kind of lines, the dogmatic lines. And so, um, 
and also look at the future and how can we how can we become less dogmatic less black and white and embrace that that feminine and uh mm-hmm. less materialistic capitalistic in our in our society and so i was just curious and do you feel like for your podcast that you have an aim or a goal not directly but i do i do think similarly I, I think there's probably the the two like a, a two-pronged answer if I'm being realistic. One is the sort of just selfish angle of like I enjoy it. I love the fact that I get to talk to the type of people I get to talk to. Like when I look at the list of people I've talked to, it's kind of funny sometimes. I'm like, I don't know how the fuck I got myself into <laughs> a position where I'm talking to like psychiatrists from Harvard mm-hmm. and Yale and best-selling authors and like, you know, whatever. I'm not I'm not trying to like name drop or whatever, mm-hmm. but it really is amazing to just be able to talk to these like intellectual heavyweights and people who the world really looks to for sense making and Mm. like respects as authorities in their field. So that's just super cool. But you know, then, you know, the other selfish element is it helps me in my own journey of sense making. And I think that ultimately that's what I hope it's doing for other people to at least some small extent is to just give them an outlet that is being presented in a truly non-dogmatic way with no really no underlying agenda or mm. whatever where they can actually just go for a consistent multifaceted presentation of wonder and i also try to you know like i go into very i i have like varying bouts of wanting to make it more directly mirthful and comedic mm-hmm. and silly because that's mm-hmm. actually a huge part of my personality, but I'd never want to force that stuff mm-hmm. either. I don't ever want right. to like, you know, try to like put, put jokes where they're, where they feel forced or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think the lightheartedness is a hugely missing part of a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. too, because philosophy, spirituality, religion, it's so de- devoid oftentimes of humor or taking itself, it takes itself way too seriously in a lot of mm. cases. And I never want to do that. So that's a huge part of the way that I try to approach a lot of these big questions is with a disposition of playfulness and sort of tr- not quite tricksteriness because I'm not trying to like turn it inside out and like right. make it seem ridiculous Jester. if it's profound, but but an element of that always, an element mm. of that always, where as soon as you think you're starting to understand good time to take a step back and realize like, Oh yeah, there's a billion other things that I now don't understand because (laughs) of just Mm -hmm. like the way that the nature of the mind and understanding works. Mm. Um, so that's a long ish rambling ish answer, but, um, the other thing too, is just for sure. I, I think I'm in that lineage too, of trying to just encourage people to not search for easy answers but change their way of seeing like we were talking about with hillman and young and campbell before is like i just think that's so important and so missing from the discourse at large where by and large everyone wants to tell you what to think like mm. whatever tv channel you turn on for news or whatever like everybody wants to tell you what to think everyone wants to tell you who's wrong everyone wants to tell you who's ridiculous and doing terrible things and very few people are trying to draw your attention to the mystery, the majesty, the Hmm. wonder that's all around at all times. 
And and like that that's the thing. Like I thought you were gonna ask me, like, what advice would I have to give people? That would also and, be great. And it feels like the most rebellious thing that I can possibly say while also being totally honest is trust trust yourself, trust the people, trust the world. Just trust. Just mm. go through your life trusting. And I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying like, don't trust your gut or don't like listen to the voice in your head. That's like, ah, don't do that. That's mm -hmm. part of trusting yourself. Like mm -hmm. if you are walking down the street and you feel a little like, don't do that. Don't go there, whatever. Trust that. But also by and large, walk through life in a more trusting, more open-hearted, even more vulnerable way. Mm -hmm. Because I think more often than not, you'll be surprised. You know, all, all of the way that we've been conditioned, all of the ways we've been conditioned to think about the world and think about threats and think about other people's bad intentions. It's not an accurate portrayal of the way the vast majority of the world and people are at all. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, that's literally the name of my podcast is Becoming Who We Are. And oh, I would say cool. that, you know, we are fractals of God. We are. We have the spirit of God within us. We have that love, joy, peace within us. That is our true essence and and that that guidance and um, that curiosity, that creativity, that mystery, um, all that stuff. And so um, I, I do think that often religion or in, um, you know different these different systems, they say, hey, trust, trust the system, trust trust other trust everything but yourself basically right. um and i know a lot of christians quibble because they're like oh w when they say yourself they they think of your ego or uh, you know what is corrupt um but i think that's a misunderstanding of who we truly are so i say trust yourself i, I would you know i would say to them trust trust holy spirit within you um and and yeah. the more we can get in our body and um you know, incorporate all the wholeness, um, the emotions, the intuition, the logic, all of that, and not push that to the side. I think that we have a, oh man, we can't, we can't ask these questions or we can't have these feelings or we just put so much in the shadow because we have this image of God that's punishing, that's um, wrathful, that, you know, is angry. And so we got to push the the shadow side of ourselves below and so we get disconnected and i think that kind of goes into um i was thinking the other day you know in our world today we have so much information so much bombardment in our senses that we didn't have in the past and so mm -hmm. i think it puts people in a fight or flight response and just like there's so much and then because of people are not connected to their body not connected to their inner knowing um they're just like i gotta cling to what i know or what whatever group i'm in because if i go into these other areas then i'll get lost or um you know it's evil whatever and so uh that that is the way to um navigate this is to get in your body and and trust have that trust and, and realize that you know obviously there's evil and there's corruption all that stuff but at the core of everything um, there's good. And um, if we can recognize that oneness, then uh, we can navigate these with a lot more trust and, and openness and, and less fear. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
And I, I really like what you said about the, the trusting what you, whatever you like the divine within yourself, whatever you want to call it, because like the, this is one of the reasons, many things I love about Plato is, you know, his recognition that the self is not just this simple, clean, singular thing. Like he famously divided the soul mm -hmm. into three parts. And as you gain this introspective, I guess, wisdom about yourself and about your own mind and where things are coming from, you're going to recognize when they're coming from the more animal Hmm. ego-based self and you're going to recognize when it's coming from a higher place and it's that's part of trusting yourself it's uh, part of trusting yourself is knowing like this is my ego talking mm -hmm. this is me feeling wounded this is me being selfish and that's an emotion i'm feeling but that's not what's to trust like i'm trusting the higher part of myself that can right. like see through that miasma and see through that that emotional illusion you know that's part of trusting yourself too and that's like a deeper kind of self-trust that i think people naturally develop over time but i think some people also naturally resist mm. because they're like no i'm justified in my feelings mm -hmm. i should be mad i should take out my anger i should take mm -hmm. out um so yeah i mean it, it's at the end of the day it's like you know this is like the conclusion essentially that people like young reached is like in a time where to your point what you brought up before where we're post scientific enlightenment and the the nietzschean adage has become famous about god mm -hmm. being dead it's mm -hmm. like in a time like that where all of the knowledge is available where you can read all of the works of wisdom throughout the ages and you can read all the science or ignore this embrace that you're you're driving like you, you are driving and you don't get to like lay off your responsibility to someone else. So wherever you're at in whatever position, how disadvantaged or advantaged, like you're driving and you have to individuate to the best of your ability and your ability to do that within yourself will serve as a beacon for everyone around you to either mm. do it or not do it themselves. And like, that's the best we can do. I really think that's the best we can do. And it's crazy because he was saying that, like, I, I don't know when, like, he started getting more down that road, what year it was, but let's just be 70 or 80 years. He's been saying that. And Campbell's probably was saying it 40 or 50 years <laughs> ago. And not, I don't think anything's changed. I think mm -hmm. we're... If anything, I think it's become more true now. And I'm trying to figure out ways like myself that I can make that even more modern and more potent because mm. it's just it's just getting truer. Like we're right. we're getting we're we have new outs, new ways to avoid personal responsibility, new ways to make things easier for ourselves all the time. And it's e getting easier and easier and easier to take a lack of personal responsibility for all of these things and man you you really got to find a way to connect with a higher part of yourself that wants to transcend that easy path and the easy answers if you want to feel like you're living a meaningful life i think yeah totally um but on the opposite end um you know these easy easier pathways you know ultimately lead to more suffering yeah and the more suffering the more we're like hey maybe this isn't the way and uh can lead us um, to to better pass and to um, you know looking within yourself 
um, which is, you know, what happened to me. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that, um, I think we're, we're getting to that point. We're un unveiling the shadows within, uh, ourselves and within society. And obviously it looks very dark, but I think that ultimately it's going to lead to a better place. Um, and that's one of the questions I had for you. Um, do you think that there is an evolutionary growth to humanity? Are we getting better over time or worse, or is it just both? I truly grapple with with these kinds of questions and the question about like, is there an awakening happening or is there not? It's like, I, I honestly really feel like the answer is like the the trickster showing its face where it's like, it's both. It's mm. really both. And it's not as simple as we're evolving and we're heading to some singularity point of transition and transcendence or we're completely melting away into stupid blubbering hijacked modes of being where we're just going to be like these wally beings rolling around and like you know obese bodies and like <laughs> wally. in a, yeah, yeah. In, in like yeah ai driven wheelchairs or whatever mm-hmm. Like I, but I really do feel like it's some weird yin and yang of those two things that it's like both ends of that spectrum are possibilities within every individual. And when you think of it that way, it's like, which way do you want to at least try to tip the scale? Mm. You know, like there is no macro evolution without individual revolution. And that's what I just always come back to is like, it's a case by case basis. And, and that, that said, I, I do think that there is some kind of macro process unfolding and it's interesting to think about and it's whether it actually exists ontologically out there or not. It certainly appears like there's some macro hive building process occurring on a human level. You know, if you, if you looked at the behavior of humans from a planetary viewpoint and you did a time lapse like clearly it would look like we're building some kind of techno hive right like mm. we're we're evolving some kind of technological either life form or or nest or something but who knows who knows where that's coming from um i i guess it's just the maximum tangibility is always going to be at the self level it's like mm. the, that's that's the level where you can make a difference right now or not, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tickles our wonder whiskers as it one do. of your phrases <laughs> to look at the macro. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you're right that the change comes from within and within ourselves. Um, and uh, yeah, if, you, if you're, you're just, just trying to make the change externally, but, you know, you still have uh, a lot of dysfunction within yourself, you're just going to corrupt it even more, which is we see that a lot in society. Yeah. Um, and let me, I'll be the first to admit, man, I take the low road all the time. I, <laughs> right. I, I eat the thing I shouldn't eat. I, I do the, I, I do the thing I shouldn't do, but I also try to be real with myself when I've done that too much or I've made too many excuses for myself or I've been lazy long enough. There's always the moment where I'm like, it's time to get off my ass. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's time to do something. Like it's time to give it an effort. It's time to go to the gym. It's time to fast. It's time to stop drinking coffee. It's time to, 
you know, put the work in when I don't feel like it. I always end up getting like, I'm, I'm kind of a better late than never type of person, <laughs> if I'm honest with you, yep. just like I was in school, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, there's always that like come, come to Jesus moment, so to speak of like, are you going to be that person? Or are you going to be that person? <laughs> and I think as long as you decide to take the high road, eventually you're good. Right. And if you're listening to this, it's not too late. <laughs> yeah. Never too late. Um, I mean, the, the part of my story, you know, talking about back in grad school before my awakening, the first year was me um, n- not m- was messing around um, and, and, and doing things I shouldn't because I, I was freaking out. I, I didn't I was in grad school. I was away from my parents. I had all these issues um, and it took me, you know, at the end of the year, I was like, man, what have I been doing? Like, who am I? Like, this is not me. And so. Uh, then I then I worked to make that change the second year, um, and I mean that you know the pattern continues. You know it's a it's a spiral. So um, yeah, that that's great. And so it seems like um, kind of society um, is coming to the end of our uh, understanding. Um, you know, with quantum physics, um, consciousness, all these types of things, it's coming to the end of uh, being able to know these things um through materialism through a scientific um method these Mm -hmm. tools that have been created to measure physical reality um do you well i get okay that's my bias that's what that's what i think do you think that that is true or do you think that we just there's just more to physical reality that we have not um unearthed yet I for sure think it's both, but I think you're right in that it seems like our theoretical models are, are have broken down and we've been searching for new theoretical models. And, you know, this is this comes from conversations with people way smarter than me who have explained Don Hoffman. Um, yeah, Don Hoffman, for sure. But but even when you just like do like if you if you can plant your butt in a chair and like wrap your mind around around certain foundational quantum mechanic idea, quantum mechanics ideas like non-locality and um you know different um of course there's like the the famous double slit experiment and all that kind of stuff but the idea that your theoretical models cannot hold the deeper truths about reality or the inconvenient truths about reality that we're eventually going to uncover so i think that's part of it and i think science is eventually going to find new theoretical models that allow for all of these things. And we're in that kind of process right now where we're in this trans, we're in this transitory process between, you know, saying, well, it's either relativity or it's quantum physics. And now we've fully admitted that quantum physics is real and that there does need to be a new theoretical framework mm-hmm. that permits for both, et cetera. But so I think that's true, but I also think that no matter how small of a pixel you can shrink reality down into mm-hmm. the symbolic, the mythopoetic, the psychological, the subjective is never going to be captured in that pixel. Mm. Like it's, I just, I don't understand how it could be. Right. And maybe I'm wrong, but like maybe the only way that I really can, the only path toward that I can see is if we master the human brain to such a deep 
level that we can engineer any experience from point A to point B where it's mm. like, see, this is what it is. But mm. but even but even then you have We've the been a trying. priori. Yeah, right. But even then you have the a priori mystery of like, why do we have this brain? Like mm. what like why like why is the brain able to have these experiences? And why is why is there this interiority, this subjectivity, this hard problem of consciousness to begin with? And I just I don't see how you answer those questions with with increasingly complex math and theoretical models that now allow for things like quantum non-locality or mm. whatever. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Um, which is why I have um put my faith or, or well, I'll say this, I have dived into phenomenology. Um, and I think that's that's valuable and important. And that's where um part of me goes full full woo woo you know (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and you know i know like you had an episode a while back um with your friend who has encountered uh an alien and um i also had an episode two two episodes back about about et's and so i know that you also dip your foot in there but you don't go full on woo woo. And so my question is, is that I can see how that is, you know, like we've been talking about um, where you're at now is a position of openness and you Mm -hmm. can say humility. um, But on playing devil's advocate, do you think it could be an unwillingness to take a leap of faith into going full woo woo? Um, which friend were you talking about? Oh man, I I don't remember the name. It was was it, was it like a, just someone who saw a UFO or somebody who like I, I don't remember ever having like a a friend who was like I had like a being encounter. But other it, than like it, maybe it was craft. I think I think it was, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Well, not. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's the latter of being not having enough faith i just truly don't feel like i've per because as soon as you start talking about these things that exclusively happen in the realm of the subjective it's like i you can't dismiss it mm-hmm. as if it doesn't matter it clearly matters because it's an experience that you're having that feels important to to the person that it's happening to and I think it is important to the person it's happening to, but it's also not literal. It's also like not necessarily a thing that is exogenously coming to your mind. It could be a phenomenon of your mind. It could be part right. of the phenomenology of experience, but that could be an in, internally generated experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the 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 paradox of like doing inward facing work or having a psychedelic experience or having a, a mystical experiences. It's like at the end of the day, I don't know <laughs> the reality of what is happening here. Like mm-hmm. I could be wrong in all of my leanings that like, you know, where I, for instance, I think consciousness is a phenomenon. I think the hard problem of consciousness is real. I'm open to the idea of living in a universe that could be called an idealist universe mm-hmm. or a universe where consciousness is like an a priori phenomenon of mm-hmm. material or maybe a panpsychist coexistent situation where you both have 
consciousness and material mm-hmm. tied in some kind of unbreakable <laughs> relationship mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, but I just don't know. Mm-hmm. So and and I don't know in in the same token before I was talking about how you'll never be able to explain the subjective, the mythopoetic away. I also don't think you'll be able to like empirically prove it because mm-hmm. how can you empirically prove or disprove a thing that's not material? You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's yeah. Like, so, so I always hold space for like, I, I find X to be highly intriguing, but I just don't know. Like I just, I can't, what, how could I know? You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the sort of double-edged sword of, of, of subjectivity and and I think just being like approaching it with honesty that Mm -hmm. that's just what feels the most honest to me right no I think that's a great place to be and I I really respect that and you know I'm somewhat there too I think for me it feels like um uh, that there could be you know the the amount of um body of of evidence of, of people uh, you know, going back to the ETs, like, hey, you know, the government, they, they, oh yeah, they've seen it, they've claimed it, um, and then these other people have, and there's all these, you know, and so it's like the body of evidence, um, and then also the multitude of ways of, of, uh, of encounters with the with mm-hmm. these beings and crafts and stuff like that. Um, oh yeah, it's like, it, again, going back to like, I think it would take more faith to to not believe in it. Now, again, like you said, we can still quibble about what are these experiences? What are our interpretations of them correct? But we are having these experiences. And so um, there is something to it, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think so too. And I think that the scale is tipping in the way that you're describing where it's becoming more likely than unlikely now. Mm. And you, you have to like change the unlikely argument because there is so much more evidence coming from authorities that previously denied it. Mm-hmm. So you either have to, so now the, the likely unlikely explanation becomes that they're presenting false information knowingly. Mm. So they're either knowingly presenting false information mm-hmm. or it's true. And I think we're. I think now it's more likely that it's true, at least at mm-hmm. some level of true, than it used to be. Whereas before, you had all of these potentially dubious information sources, like presenting the case, and then there'd be some that were more compelling than others. And now it's like, okay, well, now all of the traditional power holders are saying it's real. So where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Like either they're lying now for some, because they're trying to hide super advanced technology, or for other reasons we don't understand or it's just it's real to an extent and and i'm de- i definitely lean way more toward the ufo phenomenon being real than not than not real i mean mm-hmm. there's just so much evidence and so many like pieces of empirical data that point to it being real right right and uh so i guess kind of zooming out from that um it, you know it seems that our um our bias that there's there's more than the physical and that we have to contend with that i appreciate the woo-woo embracing that and um trying to wrestle with that and now you know some are better than others um some are more um 
logical or grounded or whatever um and um trying to hold that nuance in, in both um and so i pre- appreciate those more so it, it's a wide spectrum obviously but um i think that you know these extra phenomenon um you know psychic psychic things all all this stuff is um something that that we need to grapple with and i think we're we're starting to um and so i appreciate that woo woo is 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 doing that wholeheartedly and so it it um you know it uh tickles my wonder whiskers and <laughs> and and satisfies my curiosity um yeah. and i think that part of that is kind of going back to how can we integrate these things into um into society to create a better future for ourselves yeah so how can how can we begin to take seriously some of these more fringe things in a way that's actually useful it is hard it's a hard question man because i myself like i come down in an open-minded but i just don't know Mm -hmm. position on a lot of these specific things so things like energy healing things like reiki you know there's always a part of me that's like internally if not literally eye rolling when i hear certain things because there is a line right i think Mm -hmm. everybody knows there's a line it's Mm -hmm. like where is the line is the line at energy healing is the line at people who say they're star seeds or that they're of pleiadian extraterrestrial Mm -hmm. origin i mean for me for sure the line is like somewhere before that stuff like Uh i again i don't completely dismiss anything but i but you start you start to like shrink the scope of what seems possible and realistic to a pretty remote level where it's like i can't i can't put a lot of energy or time into this unless something crazy happened to me personally where now i can't deny it and that's that's kind of where i land in a lot of those things and i i just think i think really my answer is that it's tempting to like lump things together Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we probably shouldn't. We probably right. shouldn't say like, how can we take this group of things and bring it more into the mainstream? I think I think it's a case by case basis, mm-hmm. and I think that the the cream will eventually rise to the top on the things that are real and useful, and things like blue avians and like you know lizard overlords will probably remain relegated to the fringe mm-hmm. though with all this extraterrestrial stuff who the fuck knows <laughs> right right i think that's that's good um because um you know uh, tradition i came from you know you could say is so grounded that they're not um open or aware of all this uh, other other stuff but on the flip side all uh, the woo woo they're so into into all these things that they're often not grounded and it's like yeah, man, you may be into this stuff, but you know, are you you paying your rent? Are you you know, you're like you're not you're not functioning very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so well, I it, think just that yeah, that balance of of being grounded but also being open and um to the possibilities. Yeah, it's just it's such a slippery slope toward the exact same thing I was talking about earlier, where you become you you like you were saying, you develop these blind spots where a lot, I think a lot of people end up in these places we were just talking about through a sort of reactionary mm, right. path where they come from a tradition like yourself where alternatives were strictly banned. Mm-hmm. And then they 
come into contact with these alternatives and they begin to they get interested and they start to feel like they're growing away from their old way of being. And sometimes they had a traumatic exit. Like mm-hmm. obviously there are so many cases of like abuse or whatever, where they swing back the complete other direction. They become atheists. They want nothing to do with it. They think mm-hmm. everybody who's a spiritual leader is like a pedophile and whatever. And I'm, I empathize with all of these things. And I see myself like to some extent in many many of these things Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's like i think there is a point where you begin to develop blind spots and your own bias is pulling you in directions that don't actually serve the truth or you're even just a search for clarity Mm -hmm. and you're clinging on to things that are comforting and interesting but they're not the the possibility that they're real is probably pretty remote like the other day someone told me that they're like oh you're a I think it was a you're a Blu-ray or something like that, which mm-hmm. is a kind of a like in the one. realm of star seeds. Okay. But like someone commented that on one of my videos and I was mm-hmm. just like, ooh, what's a Blu-ray? So like <laughs> I, you know, I go down this rabbit hole of like and it, and it's it's funny because some of the descriptors I do feel like fit mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but it's but it's like the idea that like I'm of some extraterrestrial origin. It's like there's some part of my ego that wants to believe that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm special. Right. I'm a special Blu-ray from whatever <laughs> star system that mm-hmm. comes from. Mm-hmm. But it's like, is that really likely? Not mm-hmm. really, you know? Like, Right. I, I think, uh, yeah, just keeping that humility and that openness, uh, but also a healthy skepticism is, is good. And um, part of me is like... Uh, if if we can do do that, hold it with some, you know, a grain of salt, then we can still benefit from the uh, hope and vision that it holds. Like that's what I worry about with with atheists is like where are they getting their hope? Where are they getting their their meaning for for life? And you know, uh, too much skepticism is just all destruction and and you know, harmful for yourself and for society. And so, um, of course, blind, blind faith, um, you know, also leads to cults. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that, man. Do you have ideas about what you think could help society change and grow in the future? Maybe we've already covered some of this, but yeah, yeah, to an extent, but, I think I think there is definitely a meaning crisis happening. There is definitely a spiritual crisis happening. There's definitely a soul sickness happening that I don't see there being really great options presented for. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's kind of unsatisfactory to say what I've said already in terms of like it comes down to the individual right. though it does. <laughs> It does, but I also think that at large there needs to be a shift in the way that we view people and view ourselves. Like mm-hmm. there certainly is not a leading with like ICU as a being hopefully that's at a minimum a human, like a multi-dimensional human. Mm-hmm. But sorry, you said least, ICU. Like as in like we we should be able to see other people as a multi-dimensional human at the very least mm-hmm. but i really think we should be able to see every single human as a spiritual being right living their life and when you develop that sort of mythopoetic mystical lens 
that it seems like every mystical tradition eventually leads to, which is that we're all kind of shards of the same divinity and we're have the separation of um, this, this dualistic illusion. Mm -hmm. If, if you can really get behind that idea, it's, it flavors the way that you talk to people at the coffee shop. It flavors the way that you interact with people in mundane mm -hmm. everyday inter interactions. And I think that that's the place we ultimately need to get to. And it doesn't require dogma. It doesn't require mm -hmm. even any kind of literal belief. It just requires that that's like somehow built into the way that we operate before anything else. I mean, that should obviously come before political affiliations. It should come before opinions in, mm. in my opinion. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, have you heard of the book Infinite and Finite Games? I've heard of it. Yeah, but I haven't read it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I haven't either. Okay. So putting that out there, but my friend from what he talked about it, he said that it's just basically finite games are, you know, the individual and, um, you know, what can, what can satisfy me in, in the moment, um, where infinite games is what, um, benefits the whole and what is ultimately satisfactory. And I just think that that's a, such a simple, um, yeah. great way to look at things to really imp improve yourself and, and, and the collective as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've talked to Godzi a bunch about this book at some point, but it was a while ago. And I, and I, if I recall, he said something to the effect of like, there's only one infinite game. There's like, there's all these, there's myriad finite games, but mm -hmm. there's only one infinite game. And I think the larger point is that all of the finite games happen within the context of the infinite game. Mm -hmm. And we should view the finite games accordingly. Mm-hmm. I think that that's not the whole point, but that's like partially the point right. that I think fits our scope of the conversation right now. And I, yeah, I totally agree. It's like, but we don't, the problem is, is we don't, we're so stuck in our own little finite games that we don't think about the infinite game. And, and I, I think that's, that, that can be hard to do, man, especially when you're struggling, you know, it's like, how can you, how could you do that? But I think we, I, the world would certainly be a better place if we all tried. Right, right. Um, yeah. And going back to what you were saying about, uh, just seeing each other as, as fractals of God, um, my kind of, uh, rose colored vision for the future is, um, is, is for an age of the spirit, an age of seeing everyone, but also not everyone, but also everything, you know, getting back into good relationship with the environment, with the earth and treating that well, because, you know, we need that to survive. And that's also part of our, our health, uh, nature, you know, it's very, oh, it's very sure. healing. And so when we can get in right relationship with each other and with the earth and, and see each other as, as spiritual beings, um, worthy of love and understanding, then that hopefully that can break down all these, these barriers and these tribes and bring us bring us together I mean, obviously that's a lot easier said than done but um i i think that's that's the way to go <laughs> yeah yeah and i don't know what would what possibly could get us there other than some kind of like transcendent unifying technology or something mm -hmm. but yeah that would be 
That would be a beautiful thing. Like it, it's it's really sad because I think we've reached this tipping point in the population where there's just too many people, too much struggling, too many different ideas that you're always going to have these like groups that are going to form, that are going to be antagonistic toward one another. But there would need to be some kind of mass leveling that occurred. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know how we get there apart from some kind of like hive mind thing but then then you sacrifice individuality at that point too because there's no way you could have like some sort of interconnected hive mind and leave really a, a true individual anymore so right. that's like the weird the weird uh double-edged mm -hmm. sword have you seen or read the expanse series sci-fi no i've heard about it though yeah. yeah um well i don't want to get too much spoilers but there's a hive mind in in there um mm. uh also ender's game yeah but um uh I think that's why the woo woo is so appealing. If if everything about it is true, because I think a lot of these things lead to oneness and to to breaking the paradigm and and something that if we all realize that it will help us. Like say say for example, if we could all read each other's minds, mm -hmm. obviously that would be pretty chaotic and hard at first. But um, then we couldn't lie to each other. <laughs> Um, and if we can, um, if energy healing is, is a thing, then, um, not that regular medicine isn't important and good, but there's a lot more options and, um, to, to healing more naturally mm -hmm. in many instances and, and that we can have this connection to our, to our body and help each other. Um, so, and, and then like ETs, you know, it's like, Oh, if we see a model of civilization that has found a way to um, be more unified together, then that's inspiring um, for us. And um, I, I think there might be a way of, of 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 unity without uniformity. And so there mm -hmm. can still be this oneness without a hive mind. Um, but so. uh, it's 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 a lot. Of, it, it's it's hard when we're not there to imagine what that would be like. But uh, I think that there is fruit in imagining possibilities. And, you know, that's what, that's what art is. It's imagining the possibilities to try to see how we can get there and, or see if, if imagining these possibilities, Oh, that's, this is a bad option that we don't want to go down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I think I think people have a capacity for a ton of things, but it's just the way we operate, the way we prioritize things, the way we view the world has to definitely undergo extreme renovation, I think, for, mm -hmm. for us to get there. Like just even from the like way that countries and power systems are structured and the way we look at the world in terms of like here's my stuff, here's your stuff. And like, and it's, it sounds like I'm trying to like advocate for some sort of like Marxist utopia or something. Mm -hmm. That's not really what I'm saying. Like, cause I don't advocate for that, but I also, it's also like something foundationally would have to change about our priorities and the way we view ourselves as beings and mm -hmm. what we're doing here. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, yeah, I, I, of course, I don't have the answers on that. It's, like, it's it's the 
the largest, most unsolvable problem mm-hmm. imaginable. Right. We're, we're stumbling in the dark here, but uh, totally. I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's glimpses of hope in, and I see that. And, and so I mean, in, I'm interested, I'm hopeful for the future and see, see where we go from here. Me too. Yeah. I'm always hopeful. I'm always hopeful that things are going to work out for the best and that there is some sort of curvature, some sort of narrative, some sort of point, some sort of like directionality, at least, you know, even if it's not some perfectly laid out teleological plan, it's like mm-hmm. there's a process mm-hmm. unfolding. It, it does. It does. I, I do suspect that whether that's just my own bias or not. I don't know, of course, but that is what I suspect. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Well, uh, we've covered a lot of ground in a lot of places. It might be a little hard to sum up, but is there any last words of wisdom you'd like to share? <laughs> I think I think that's a good place, man, is, is like what I was saying before about trusting yourself, trusting the world, just trusting, being more open. And that's a level, like that's like the level of macro trust where we just mm-hmm. ended. Like it's like, at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know the ontological truth of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I know that if you are able to feel like you're part of a mystery that's imbued with purpose and meaning and a direction and that you have an important role to play in it, that's that makes life better. Like That makes life right. more meaningful and more um, like a place that I want to exist. So that's my, that's what I encourage. Yeah. And if you feel like you're living a life that does not allow for that or does not open you to vistas of, of wonder and mystery more readily, I would, uh, I would encourage you to, to try to position yourself accordingly. Mm-hmm. Right. I totally agree. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible talking about after, um, like once the kingdom of heaven is established that after all these things pass away, uh, what will remain is faith, hope, and love. And mm. I still feel that that's, oh, yeah, uh, I love that's that. an amazing yeah, verse. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. It was, uh, really great. Um, you always in, inspire my imagination and my curiosity and, and, uh, openness. And so I really appreciate you in the way you are and, uh, what you do for everyone else. Appreciate you too, man. And uh, I'm stoked that you're doing a show. And um, yeah, man, all the best to you and and keep keep wonder dipping. Yeah, thanks. You too. All right. 